0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Father, would you hear our songs of worship this morning? Would you hear the words that we read? Would you hear, uh, Lord, our prayer right now? And would you draw near, you say in your word that you inhabit the praises of your people. And Lord, we know that you are everywhere, and yet sometimes you make yourself, your presence, more known, more felt, more sensed, more obviously present. And so I pray for all of us together this morning. Lord, even those watching on live stream, that there would be a sense of being in the presence of God, hearing the very words of God. And you would speak to our souls. Father, you know us better than we even know ourselves. You know uh, where we are weak and we need to be strengthened and empowered. And I pray that you would draw near to do that. Lord, you know where we might be arrogant and too big for our britches. And we need to be humbled. Lord, and you know where we might be sorrowing or grieving and need to be comforted. Lord, whatever type of heart surgery we might need this morning, would you draw near, Holy Spirit. And take this word and apply it to our hearts. Make us into the men and the women of faith that you want us to be. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. We're doing a series on the book of 1 Samuel. And we actually started it two weeks ago in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And what we're really doing is we're not necessarily going to look at every single verse in the book. Uh, That's why we started in 1 Samuel chapter 9. But we're really doing a compare and a contrast between King Saul and King David. And so, last, two weeks ago, last time I was with you, we looked at when Samuel, the prophet of God, first told Saul that he was going to be the king. And then he was anointed to be king. And we we're literally going to pick up on the exact same verse that we left off two weeks ago. Uh, so, let's start in 1 Samuel, chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, and he poured it on his head, and he kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So up until this point, Saul is a young man, single man. He's still living and working at least with his father to some degree. Um, as far as we know, he was young and single at this time. He's a farmer. That's what he knows. He goes on search for some lost donkeys. He doesn't find the donkeys, but he bumps into the prophet. And the prophet says, you're going to be the king of Israel. And he's anointed. And now what Samuel is going to do is he's going to say, there's three signs that God's going to give you to confirm this anointing, to confirm this call in your life. Now listen, every time God says something to us, calls us to do something, he doesn't always give us some confirming sign, but sometimes he does. This time he is going to give Saul three different confirming signs. And I think this is God in his graciousness and his condescension, in a sense, bending low to Saul, saying, Listen, I know this is going to be a stretch. You've just been a little farmer boy up until now. And now you're supposed to become a warrior king. The main reason the nation of Israel had wanted a king was to have a king to lead them out into battle against their enemies, primarily the Philistines that surrounded them, that actually invaded them and dominated much of their territory. They wanted a physical king to go forth with them in battle. And now Saul is to be that man. But God, in his compassion, understands this might seem overwhelming to you, Saul. This might seem like too big of a burden for you to bear. So let me give you some confirming signs. And there's three different ones. We're only going to look at one because the text really focuses on one. So let's skip down to verse 5 and look at what the first sign was. Then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. And three men going up... Excuse me, I started reading verse 3. That's not what I wanted to do. Skip down to verse 5. After that, you shall come to Gibeoth Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. So, he says, you're going to leave, you're going to meet a few different people, but you're going to come to this certain hill. And notice it says where there's a garrison, that's like a fort, of for the Philistines. And this is deep in Israelite territory, deep in the tribe of Benjamin's territory. So where there shouldn't be Philistines, there were Philistines. Probably set up next to a road so they could dominate the trade and maybe tax the people. Okay, But he also says you're going to meet some prophets. A band of prophets are going to come by. And they're going to be playing music, but they're also going to be prophesying. Now, prophesying in the Bible primarily means speaking the word of God. Sometimes it could be telling the future. Sometimes it could mean just exhorting someone uh, to have ethics to do the right thing. Sometimes it could be just singing praises to God. But the point was, it was speaking the Word of God. Speaking true things about God and to God's people. Verse 6, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, that phrase, the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, is used of other people in the Bible. And the main other place that we find it being used, and I don't know if I'm doing something wrong with the microphone here, um, or if there's anything I can do to change, I'll I'll do my best. But uh, the main place that we find this phrase being used in the Bible is in the book of Judges, talking about Samson. And think about Samson. He had a very similar call on his life. He was not called necessarily to be king, but he was called to be a leader. He was called to be a warrior. He was called to fight against the Philistines and to deliver the people of Israel from their oppressors. Let's keep going. Lord, help us with the microphone. Verse 7. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. This is a very important verse in this chapter. And here's what it's saying. When you're filled with the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when you have this experience of God changing you, growing you up. And what does this really mean? It means, listen, you've been a little farmer boy up in now. You can't handle being a warrior king all by yourself, leading him in into battle. But God's going to come upon you in a special way. He's going to prepare you. How did Samson have his supernatural strength? It's not because he went to the gym every day. It's the Holy Spirit did something special to give him supernatural strength to fight against the enemies of God. And in a similar way, Saul, you little farmer boy, God's going to come upon you in a special way to enable you to lead his people into battle. And so when that happens, do whatever the occasion requires. Be a man. Step up. Do your duty. Do what God is calling you to do in that moment. It's an encouragement. Why? Because you're so great, no, the last phrase is key, for God is with you. And this was something that had been spoken to leaders, people like Abraham, people like Isaac, people like Joseph, people like Moses, people like Gideon. Great spiritual leaders before had heard a similar word in their own life. Verse 8. Then go down before me to Gilgal... And behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. Verse 11. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? That's Saul's father. Is Saul also among the prophets? And the point of that is, they didn't say, ex- It wasn't like Saul was a guy that was super spiritual growing up. It wasn't like he was always hanging out studying the book of Moses by himself when he had free time. So when they see Saul hanging out with the prophets and even prophesying with the prophets, The people that had known him, they were shocked. They didn't expect this of him. A real change had come upon Saul. So if you want to take notes, point one is just simply this. Saul was changed. Saul was changed. But the second point is this. But not fully. Not all the way. Let's skip down to verse 17 and let's pick up with the story. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptian and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were, prophes- excuse me, were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So, the prophet Samuel, who's been the primary human leader up to this point, he gathers the entire nation of Israel, at least their elders, at least their leaders, and he, say, he reminds them, he gives them a brief history. He says, Remember, you were a bunch of slaves in Egypt. Egypt was the, the superpower of that day. They were slaves, but God had delivered them. Supernaturally, God had set the people of Israel free, He did, he did a miracle. And he's reminding them of their history. So when you are in the Old Testament and you think about the great story of salvation, what ought to come to your mind is the idea of the deliverance from Egypt. Something changed in Egypt. We do a handheld. That'd be great. All right. There we go. All right. Point two with a different mic. All right. Uh, Saul has been Saul has been changed, but not fully. Why does Samuel say? I want to remind you of the history. It's important because he says, "Look back on the great works of God. Look back on the wondrous deeds that God has done for you. The marvelous things that He has done." To set you free. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and God's the one that still delivers you. From every calamity. Every distress. Every hardship. Maybe not immediately. But in the long run, if you're one of God's people. The promise is, just like God has delivered you in the past. He will come through for you again. And he will deliver you in this present moment. In this danger. In this trial. Whatever you're facing. Again, it typically does not happen on our timeline. God is often not in a hurry where we are in a hurry, but we must trust him. He will come through. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the nation of Israel, out of a place of fear, had said, we want a human king. And it wasn't God's time. They came from a place of fear, not faith. And they begged God for a king. He said, okay, if you want a king, I'll give you what you want. You want a king just like the nations? I'll give it to you. And Samuel is reminding them of how they got here. But now it's time to bring a king. So look at verse 20. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Now, we don't know exactly how a lot works, but but there was some sense of like an ancient type of dice, something like that, that could give a yes or no answer, and when the prophet was using it, there was a sense of God, tell us yes or no. Will the king come from this tribe? Will the king come from this tribe? And they could narrow it down to one tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. So they're using the lot to hear the voice of God. Verse 21, "...he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans. The clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, probably speaking through Samuel the prophet, "...behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage." And they ran and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upwards. So he looked like a king. But he didn't want to be king. So when his name got called, he's over here hiding with all the military baggage or something like that. The prophet pulls him out. He stands up. Everybody looks at him and most people love him. Verse 24. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Verse 25. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book, and he laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. And so this was probably the beginning of the army that's going to, Be with Saul. That's going to fight with Saul. Strong men. Bold men. Ready to go. But verse 27. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? They're thinking, He's just a farmer boy. How can he be king? How can he save us? And they despised him. And they brought him no present. They didn't honor him like the other people were doing. But he, speaking of Saul, held his peace. He didn't respond. He let it go. Now, what I want us to see... This again, I mentioned this two weeks ago, first start studying Samuel and sometimes you read a whole chapter and you're like, why did I choose this chapter? It seems a little dry. It seems a little boring. Lord, if that's bad to say, please forgive me. But sometimes on a first read through, you're like, I don't know if there's enough here to preach. And so I I think I mentioned this two weeks ago. John Piper has a great quote where he says, if you just rake, you'll get a bunch of leaves. But if you dig, you'll find diamonds. And so as I spent this time digging, here is what comes out of this. Is that God, in a sense, bends over backwards to say to Saul, I know that this call on your life seems overwhelming. So I'm going to go out of my way three different times, three different ways to confirm it to you in a very personal, experiential way. So you will feel my presence with you. Not just have a word. Not just have intellectual knowledge. You will have an experience of me being with you. So that when the time comes to step forward to lead, to play the part, to play the man, you should have no excuse. You should be ready. All the signs that were prophesied happen. And the first time when Saul is supposed to step forward and take the responsibility that the Lord is delegating to him, he blows it. He's terrified. He runs and he hides. Now... Fear. There is a category of the fear of the Lord. We're not talking about that this morning. Being in awe of God, reverencing God, worshiping God, that's a good thing, that's a positive thing. Every other time the Bible speaks of fear and gives an example of fear like this, it's a sin. But I'm concerned that for many of us modern day Christians, fear we don't really think of as a sin. We think of it as something small. We think of it as seemingly insignificant. Even if we read a story like this or a verse that says something negative about fear, we might think, well, in the grand scheme of things, everybody struggles with fear. It's so small. It's so tiny. It's a white-collar domesticated sin. It's not really that bad. But as I think as we go along through this book and we look at the life of Saul, we're going to see that that is not true. And so let me just ask you... Where in your life do you tend to struggle with fear the most often? And it doesn't have to look like a terrified panic. In fact, most of the time it doesn't look that way in our life. It's much more subtle. Where might there be a place where maybe God is calling you to have a conversation with somebody? Maybe an employee. Maybe your boss. Maybe a next-door neighbor. And it could be a little awkward. Maybe a family member. And you've tried to have conversations with this family member before. And it didn't go well last time. And so you're kind of like, you know what? I'm a little skittish to go have another conversation with him or her. Because the last time I feel like I got my head bit off. And I don't like getting my head bit off. I like my head right where it is. Where are you reluctant? Where are you hesitant? Let me just give you a personal story. You know, I started regularly sharing my faith, trying to talk to non-Christians about Christ and the gospel on some kind of regular basis my freshman year of college. That would have been 1995. We're going back a while. Some of you weren't even alive then. 28 years. I have been working for a ministry called Campus Outreach. It's about evangelism for over 25 years now. I'm one of the leaders. But I often still struggle with at least the temptation to fear broaching the subject of Christ, especially with a stranger. I travel a good bit in my job now. If I sit down on a plane and I'm reading something, a Bible maybe, a lot of times I'm doing that, and somebody sits down next to me and they're like, what are you reading? I love that. That's a softball. Let me tell you about what I'm reading. That's easy. That's fun. That's enjoyable. But let me tell you what I personally really don't enjoy. When somebody sits down next to me, a stranger, and I really have a sense from the Lord, you need to try to have a spiritual conversation with this person. Hey, how are you? What's your name? Where are you from? Where are you going? Did you see the football game last night? Can I tell you about Jesus? Right? It's just really awkward. You can try to be smooth, but it's just, it, it can be really awkward. And it can be really awkward in the way they respond. Right? Like, you're one of those Jesus freaks. I, I did not. I had a guy in an airport tell me one time, he said, I did not come here to have this conversation today. Now, I was traveling this week. Thursday morning, I got up, was going for a jog, spending some time praying. And so I knew I'm going to be on a flight today, Father. And so I prayed specifically. I said, Father, if there is somebody that you want me to talk to, about Christ, the day on the plane, would you make them ready? But would you make me ready? Because I know myself. I know my tendency to fear, which seems tiny. doesn't seem like that big of a deal with all the scandalous sins out there that it are to struggle with. But then think about this. What if there is somebody that God is wanting you to prophesy, and I don't mean speak the future, but I mean speak the word of God to about life, about salvation, and you say, I won't do it. And I've done that far too many times. Just think about all the sins that are in that. How selfish that is. I don't care about this person's soul. I care about my social respectability. I mean, it's really a form of hatred to that person. A seemingly small fear can lead to much bigger, worse sins. And part of what we have to be doing often as Christians is meditating on the way that God has already delivered us in the past. Saul should have had those three signs. But just as important, if not more important, what Saul should have remembered is, my forefathers were slaves by the only superpower on planet Earth. And in one day, God got a million plus of them out of Egypt, and he wiped out Pharaoh's whole army. And he did it with a guy named Moses, who stuttered. And Moses walked into the court of Pharaoh, the most powerful court on planet earth. And he said, let my people go. Saul should have been meditating on that type of truth. God's used weak people before. God has delivered people from their fears before. He did it before. He can do it again. He still does it. He's still a God delivering people from distresses, from calamities. And guys, we need to be doing the same thing. If you struggle with fear a lot, And my guess is we all struggle with fear different times, different ways. You need to take verses like Romans chapter 8 verse 31. If God be for us, then who can be against us? If God's on our side, it doesn't matter if somebody's against us. We're still going to win. Meditate on those type of truths. Pray about it. Prepare for your day. If you struggle with fear a lot, if you're like, this is the main sin I struggle with, a great way to view your personal time alone with the Lord in the morning, reading the Bible and praying would be confessing, God, probably, you know, I haven't gotten out of bed yet, so everything's really nice, warm and cozy right now. I feel very safe, God. But at some point, I'm going to have to get out of bed. I'm going to go have to face the day, and I'm probably going to meet somebody. And at some point, there's going to be some kind of anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, insecurity, And so, as I read the Word here, I'm not just going through the motions. You know how Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the armor of God? That's a good way to think about your personal time along with the Lord in the morning. I'm getting ready to go into spiritual battle today, Father. So would you give me a verse? Would you give me a truth? Would you give me a principle? Just some little nugget for my soul that I can meditate on, that I can mull over. That I can spiritually suck the nutrients out of. So when the fear comes, at least the temptation to fear, I can fight. I can push back. We need to be doing that. Now, let me say this. Because you start to think about this and really try to get personal. Make it serious. Make it applicable to your life. Is there ever a time when it's okay, so to speak, to be a little nervous? Yes, Listen, there is a proper category. If you came to any of the Sunday school classes, we did on worry last year. The Bible says worry is a sin, but it says there's a proper category of being concerned. And sometimes the line between concern and worry can be really thin. With fear. If fear is a sin, there's a proper category of being distressed, being troubled, maybe being overwhelmed. It's normal. It's not sinful. So how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference when I've got a normal sense of stress, a right, non-sinful sense of being troubled, but I haven't crossed into sinful fear yet? It's this. When you don't do what the Lord wants you to do. Right? Maybe what God wants you to do is just have an encouraging conversation with somebody. But you're such a painful introvert... That you're like, just to initiate a conversation, even to say something nice and friendly is terrifying me. But you know God wants you to speak up and encourage this person. It's not wrong to shake. (laughs) It is wrong when you say, I ain't doing it, God. I'm not going. I'm not making the phone call. I'm not walking over there. I'm not opening my mouth. That's when you know that you've crossed into sin. Now... If you say this is something I struggle with, I'm at least tempted to do it, you know what? You're in good company. Because over a thousand years later, if Saul was the first king of Israel, we come to another king of Israel. And he had a season, he never gave in to sinful fear, but he did struggle. Do you remember Jesus as he was walking with his disciples? And he would only take three, left the rest of them behind. And we don't know for sure why he only took three into the garden with him to pray. But it may have been the other nine or eight that are left can't handle this. And part of what he said to him is, I am overwhelmed to the point of death. I'm so sorrowful. I'm so grieved. I'm so troubled. I'm so distressed with what I'm about to have to go through. And he wanted out. It's not wrong to want out. It's not wrong to pray. It's not wrong. God, is there any other way? I know what you want me to do. I don't want to do it. I got to go have that hard conversation with somebody in my family. Is there anybody else around here that could do it? Because I don't want to do it. Not wrong to pray that. Not wrong to think that. Not wrong to want that. It's not a bad desire necessarily. It is sin when it becomes a demand. I won't do it. Find somebody else. That's when you're in sin. But you can pray, you can wrestle, you can be honest, but you got to get to the place that Jesus got to where he says, not my will but thine. You really want me to go forward to the cross, I will. You see, the people in the nation of Israel, they were scared of the people that were oppressing them, their surrounding enemies. And they wanted a human king to walk forward in front of them and lead them into battle. And we tend to be scared. Maybe we don't have physical enemies, but we have spiritual enemies. We have sin, the world, sinful culture. We have Satan, his demons. And we do have oppression and calamities and distresses that we face in life, hardships. And God says, okay, I'll give you a human king, the God-man. And he did go before his people into the greatest war ever, into the war with sin, suffering, Satan, hell, and even death. And he was swallowed by it. And then he conquered it from the inside. He's already won the greatest battle. It's over. It's finished. So we can look at even death and have no fear. And whatever smaller battle that He may be calling us to fight on planet Earth for Him, we can say, I'm shaking a little bit, but by Your grace, I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm going to press forward because I can preach to myself the New Testament salvation story. It's not about being delivered from physical slavery in Egypt. It's about being delivered from spiritual bondage and slavery to my fear by the cross. And by the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You experienced a forsakenness from Your Father on the cross that because of Your grace we will never have to experience more trusting in You. I pray for myself. I pray for everyone listening that You would grow our faith that when we are tempted to fear When we are tempted to give in to fear, when we are tempted to say, No, I don't want to embrace the hardship or the responsibility that God's calling me to, that you would fill us full of the Holy Spirit. You would fill us full of faith. You would give us an experience of your presence that you're with us. But even when there's no experience to encourage us that you're with us, we would remember your word. We would meditate on the beautiful truths of the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, and we would be strengthened. We would be empowered. We pray all of this, only in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.